Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. I want to ask a dangerous question this morning, but I woke up feeling dangerous, okay? So, have you ever been wrong before? Have you ever been wrong before? I'm seeing a lot of shaking their heads like, no, okay, that's interesting. Um, we got a lot to talk about this morning. I can admit, uh, even in the presence of my wife, and this is hard, she's been wrong before. <laughs> Many times, but not as much as me, right? I have been wrong before. And I know that for you too, even those of you that were shaking your head know that there has been a time or two where you have thought something to be true only to find out it was in fact false. It could be something little. Just recently, my uh, Isabel brought home some homework and I noticed this uh, little sentence that she wrote on her paper and in that sentence contained the words, Williams and Farms. And it didn't take me too long to figure out what was going on here. So I went in and asked my precious daughter, hey, what's, what's the name of our neighborhood? She said, Williams and Farms. And I got to explain to her, it's actually Williamson Farms. That's the name of our neighborhood. But in her mind, she heard Williams and Farms. And so she has, which when you say it real quick, that's what it sounds like. And so on her paper, she wrote Williams and Farms. It's like, do you know it's Williamson Farms? Like, no. There's a big sign that says it, but she never quite caught it that it's Williamson Farms, not Williams and Farms. Something so small, but yet that is incorrect. Today, I want you to uh, consider with me that there is maybe something that you assume, or, or maybe something that you have learned, or, or maybe something that you have even been taught that is actually incorrect. That maybe it was close to the truth, but yet even being close to the truth does not make it truth. It is indeed false. See, I think today for an example for us, if, if I were to ask you, what does it mean to live the Christian life? You know, I hear this sometimes. People say, Pastor, it is just so hard living the Christian life. Which I want to ask, what, what does that mean? It's hard to live the Christian life. What is living the Christian life? And when I ask you, what is living the Christian life? Some of you would have different answers. But I think there would be a portion of us in this room that would say, well, living the Christian life just means that you put God number one. That he is number one in your life. You know, last week I kind of used that illustration about Jesus is my co-pilot. If you weren't here, there was a neighbor that had that bumper sticker, and it's horrible theology that, that Jesus being your co-pilot, or God is my co-pilot. God isn't the co-pilot. I said that he's not just the pilot, that he is the all-in-all, all, that he is the plane, he's the air, that he is everything. And I thought, I want to try and communicate this in another way, because I think it's appropriate for us today in understanding this Christian life aspect of how to live it out. I, I think what we need to understand is that Having Jesus number one in your life actually might be your problem. You say, what, what, what? Yeah, I think having Jesus as number one in your life could be a problem in your spiritual life if that means there's a number two and there's a number three and a number four. See, when, when we say we give our life to Jesus, the whole point of that is not just to make him a number one, but it is to surrender all to him, to be 
our all in all. And scripture, when it talks about Jesus being in our whole life, in Acts 17, it says, for in him we live and move and exist. It's in Jesus that we, we have life, that we move, that we exist. In Colossians, it says, when Christ, who is your life, the totality of who you are. Galatians 2.20, Paul talks about my old, self, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so the idea is when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you really enter into this relationship, it is a surrendering of the, the whole being. It's not adding him, it's not just elevating him over the other stuff. It is saying, here's all the stuff. And there is a difference between just saying, come up to the top, buddy, or come up to the top, Jesus, as opposed to saying, here's all of it. Here's everything. See, if, if I told you, Kim, she's my number one lady. She's my number one boo. She's my number one baby. You know what I'm saying? If, if I told you that, you think, oh, that's, that's so sweet and, and that's great. And that is sweet and great if that means she's the only one, right? But if there's, she's my number one boo-boo, and she, you know, and that old girl, my number two boo-boo, and, and that old other girl, my number three, we're going to have problems up in the Hickman house. That ain't going to work with her. She don't even like it when I kiss the dog, okay? We're going to have problems. We ain't going to be sister wives up in there. I can promise you that's not going to happen. And the same thing is like, well, okay, I'm going to put Jesus number one, but I've got these other things. Jesus doesn't just want to be number one. He wants to be your everything. We need to get that right. When we enter into this relationship, it's not adding him to the other stuff. It's not elevating him even over the other stuff. It's here it is, everything. You be my all in all. And so how do we live this Christian life? It's not through effort. It's through grace. One word would really describe that perfectly for us. And living the Christian life really comes down to grace. So we don't come into this relationship with God from our work, through our own effort. It is a gift to us. We simply do receive the gift. We embrace the gift. And so we enter into this relationship through grace. So why in the world, after even entering into that relationship, we would go back to working for it? If you go back to working for it, thinking that you have to do something on your own, you have to try and muster up your own personal strength and effort and energy to be okay with God, you're moving to a point of legalism. And legalism isn't a new thing, and it is very prevalent, I think, in our culture today because of all the things that we've talked about being a performance-based society. But even from the first century, from the first followers of Christ, they had to combat this idea of legalism. You actually look at the New Testament, there's a good portion of it that is written specifically to fight, to combat this idea that after believing, we got to go back to working. It doesn't end with belief, it goes back to work, and that's legalism. And a lot of scripture fights this mentality. We don't go to God or become a Christian by working for him. So we shouldn't think that the Christian life revolves around us working for him. See, trying to live for God is like trying to become a Christian. I'm just trying to live for God. That sounds a whole lot like I'm just trying to become a Christian. And so for some of us, we need to understand we maybe are a little bit off of grace. They were a little bit off of what it really looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For some of us, we're a little off. Some of us, we're just completely backwards because we're relying on our own effort. And so today, I want to help us understand what it really looks like to live the Christian life through grace. 
Okay, we can't leave grace. It is a grace place that we must stay in and reside in. And so I want to give you two questions. We've already filled in a couple of blanks today, but you have a handout. Please keep that handy. There are enough in the room. Look around you. Make sure you grab one of those. But I want you to write down these questions that you need to continually ask yourself to stay in a grace place. It's easy to venture. In fact, like I said, a lot of scripture is written to combat that. You need to ask these questions. Number one, what do I believe? See, we've all been born into a world full of religious ideas. But these religious ideas, they all share this one aspect. All religions teach and stress our responsibility to stay in favor with God through a specifically defined behavior. To be okay with God, you have to do these specific behaviors. That is a man-made path to God. God bless you. That's the loudest sneeze I've ever heard. And that's the religious system saying, some people say, okay, you have to say God bless you or you've lost your favor with God. Like seriously, people can get to that degree. I thought I would just try and somehow save that moment. (laughs) Didn't work. But this is what religions do. They stress that, okay, there's specifically defined behavior that you must follow. That's why Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. We must always embrace this idea that our behavior has absolutely nothing to do with gaining or staying in favor with God. Our behavior has nothing to do with it. And some of you, that irks you right now. But listen to me. Your behavior, it's not about it. It's about Jesus and what he's done. Swedish theologian Christer Stendhal, he said this, it is not so much that we don't know, but what we think we know that obstructs our vision. We can get off just a little bit because of what we think we know, even though it's wrong. Were you ever told this as a kid, you just ate lunch? Like, no, 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 you just ate lunch. There's, you just can't go, what? Swim. Because I, I was taught like an hour. Anyone taught more than an hour? Like you had to wait two hours? Hour and a half? Okay. Yeah, then it started, I, as I got younger, <laughs> just kidding, as I got older, people started taking it down. Oh, it's just 30 minutes. And it's just 15 minutes. It's like somehow our metabolism has sped up through the years, I guess, right? And so it's like, oh, don't eat a sandwich. You want to die. Like if you get in that pool, you're going to cramp up. Your legs are going to get real stiff. Your lungs are going to cramp. And you're going to go right to the bottom. Don't get in the pool. I'm like, it's just a sandwich. Like, no, you can't do it, right? So we were taught this. And then all of a sudden, some doctors are like, wait, hang on. This is bad science, okay? This is not going to happen at all. You will be fine to swim even if you had a stake, all right? You're going to be okay. Or maybe you've heard the phrase, you're blind as a bat. Maybe you've used that phrase. Actually, bats can see quite well. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty cool. Bats can even see three times better than humans. Now, they use other senses to uh, track things down, and that's why we kind of like, oh, they don't have good eyesight. But they actually do have really good eyesight, something that we thought. I'm still confused about Pluto. I don't know if Pluto's a planet or not. Pluto keeps going back and forth. We don't know. Pluto's got identity problems. It's a transplanet. And so, take that off live. Can we take that off Facebook Live somehow? I don't think we can. Don't post this one later. Gum. You've all been taught this. When you chew gum, how long is it going to stay in your digestive system? 
Isn't that crazy? Carla, where'd you grow up? So all around. Okay. Did you say seven years, Jessica? Where'd you grow up? Amarillo. Different people heard the same thing. Anyone else here seven years? Yeah. Anyone a different time? Some of y'all had diet gum. You're like five years. <laughs> seven years. That's, that's been out there. Oh, chew gum. I remember hearing that as a kid. You swallow that gum. Seven years in that belly. Actually, our stomachs don't digest gum. It doesn't stay in seven years. Thankfully, it just passes naturally through the system intact. Aren't you glad you came? These are great facts at the gathering of Everyday Church. But there are things that we think we know, but we really don't know. And we hold on to that idea and even building a hill to die on because we think we know what we know. But yet, we really don't know. It's like this image of God. There are people out there that have painted this picture of God with a red pen ready for your paper to mark it all up. And, and sometimes it's even pictured the other way of waiting for our paper so that he can see our good deeds and good works so he can give all the good stamps or the good stickers. And so we've created this God that is measuring these scales of good and bad to determine if we're okay with him or not. Well, what happens is because we, apart from Christ, we're all messed up people. There are people that won't turn to God. They run from him because they view God as the red pin God. And they, they don't see him as a loving God, a God that is willing to send his son to die for them, to be on a cross and to pay the price and penalty of sin. And so people run from God and they run from the people of God. And they don't run to him and to his wonderful, amazing grace. One time, my precious daughter again to use her today was in our living room and I had was on the couch with a cup of coffee on the coffee table apropos and and as I sat there and watched or whatever I was doing I don't remember exactly but she was dorking around doing something that she didn't need to be doing near a table with a cup of coffee on it bumped the table and the coffee spilled onto carpet and uh, my eyes locked on her eyes pretty quickly and you know what she did she stepped one step back. That broke my heart. I probably would have too with the way I was looking at her, to be honest. But it made me think that we're a whole lot like Adam and Eve. When we sin, we don't step in. We step back. Even to the point sometimes we go hide. He won't find me here. I don't want to even be near him because I've really screwed up. And I wish that my daughter would have known my heart enough and my character enough to have said, I can step in to my daddy instead of away. I also wish that my face would have led with grace so that she would have been more comfortable stepping into her daddy. With God, he always leads from a place of grace. And his grace allows us to step into him. Write down Hebrews 4:16. You've got to mark this verse. It says this, know the gist of it, know the heart of it, even set it to memory. Hebrews 4:16 says, so let us come boldly boldly, y'all, not timidly, not reluctantly, boldly to the throne of our 
gracious God. Who is he? He is our, our gracious God. Believer, know that he is our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Listen, the grace of God is bigger and better than what you have even imagined. And to gain an expanded understanding and appreciation of the grace of God, we must be willing to admit we don't know it all. We don't know everything. Quit getting older and arrogant, thinking you know everything about God, and come to him like a child, like we talked about last week, willing to admit, I don't know it all. If your grace is bigger and better, reveal it to me, let me know. Come to him willing to learn, willing to adapt your thoughts to his thoughts. There's an old story about two guys fishing. And as they were fishing, they were catching some. But then this one guy kept getting these really big fish. And instead of keeping them like the other fish, he'd throw them back in the water. And his buddy is like, what in the? He's just thinking, that, that is strange. But after the third or fourth huge fish that he, was caught, he caught, he finally turned to him and said, Hank. That's a good fishing name, right? Hank, after you brought your 18-wheeler over here, why, why in the world are you throwing these big fish back into the lake? I said, what's another good fishing name? Dosher. Um, he says, Dosher, they don't fit my frying pan. I think for us, there are times when we think that God is who he is only because he's in our box. And anything outside that box, we don't deal with because it doesn't fit our box. We need to come to God and say, God, it's your box. Whatever you want, you do it. Teach me. I'm humble. Lead me. Along the way, there's some myths that we have picked up on and that we have believed. And I want to smash those. We talked about blind as a bat. Da, da, da. I want to talk about some spiritual myths real quickly that we need to shake. Number one, God helps those who help themselves. I heard this growing up, was taught it here or there, and I would hear this sentence. God helps those who help themselves, which just meant don't be helpless with God. And there's some uh, a good spirit behind that, like get up, have some faith, move in faith. That's great. But that phrase, God helps those who help themselves, that's nowhere in the Bible. That is not a Bible verse. It is not scripture. You can't find it. In fact, on the pages of scripture, what we see is God helping the helpless often. Praise the Lord that he does. But this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, actually became popular from Ben Franklin's Poor Richard Almanac. That's where that was first found and then became popular from there. But it's not in the Bible. The second thing, you can lose your salvation. I want to unpack this one just a little bit. See, to me, this is a, a myth that is widely believed because if you didn't do anything to earn it, you can't do anything in your power to keep it. You didn't do anything to work for it, earn it. You're not going to do anything to keep it. Maybe another way to think about it is which sin is going to cause you to lose it? Your attitude that you had this week? When you were hangry, your unlawful driving this week, were those in the category you'd say, yeah, I mean, sin and sin, right? Maybe you're really good at those, but maybe about the sins where 
God expects you something that he expects you to do something like it was on your heart to share Jesus with that person and you chickened out. Was it that sin that cost you your salvation? You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to keep it. Now, it's a fair conversation that we could have about a willing, a willful rejection. After someone said, I love Jesus, then later, much later, or whenever later, willfully said, I don't like Jesus, I hate Jesus. That's a conversation. Or, or someone that has zero change ever. No change. That's a conversation. But for a believer in Jesus Christ, you can make a mistake and still be his child. Because we're all going to make. In fact, a lot of the New Testament was written to believers to say, hey, that's sin. Avoid that. Repent of that. Go the other way for a better spiritual life. Two believers. Not, hey, you sinned here. You need to go back to the cross and believe again. No. My daughter, when she spilled that coffee, stayed my daughter. Now, we can mess up in the relationship. It might not be strong. It might not be intimate. It might not be the best it can be. But the, she was my daughter and is my daughter. You know why? Because she has my genes. She has my blood. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we receive the, the deposit. God himself, as the Holy Spirit, dwells within us, and we receive his genes. That's a myth. You can lose your salvation. Number three, the biggest one I think that we embrace is what we do gains us favor. What we do gains us favor. That's on me. My performance gets me blessings or in favor with God. It's us trying to take credit instead of just giving it to God. I want to take a little quiz here to help us understand where we are with this myth. And so I'm going to ask you 10 questions. I'm going to try and fly through these. And so um, try not to, uh, some of you are thinkers, like I can hear a question and just pick one and move on. Some of you are going to be like, ooh, I'm going to wrestle with this one. And I'm like, no, we don't have time. Okay, so I'm going to go one through 10. On your paper, just write one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Don't write the question down because we do not have time for that. Just write A or B as your answer. A or B. Now, some of these are going to seem like, oh, these are both good. Write the best one. What do you think the best answer is? All right? You didn't know you get a test today. Here it comes. Number one, who are you? A, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. B, I'm righteous and growing in maturity. Best one, A or B? Three, two, one. Number two, I spend time with God because it's what I should do. I'm like Jesus. A or B? Three. I have to act differently at gatherings or around Christians than I do around people in my regular life. When I'm around Christians, I gotta act differently than I do around people that aren't. Yes or no. I'm glad I'm saved because I'm going to heaven and not hell. I have a relationship with Christ. Going to heaven, not hell, a relationship with Christ. Five, I read the Bible to see what God expects of me. Be fellowship with God. I read the Bible to see what God expects of me. What a fellowship with God. Six, do you get nervous by grace? Thinking or saying, oh, they might send more. These little boogers. True, false. Seven, do you look at the Christian life as being e easy or hard? A is hard, B is easy. 
hard or easy? Do words like rest and light, easy, describe your lifestyle? No, yes. Rest, easy, light, describe your lifestyle? No, it's a yes. To be a good Christian, you should worship with your church. Pray, read the Bible, witness to others. A or B, true or false. To grow. My relationship, I rededicate my life to Jesus, or I realize who I am in Christ. As you look over your list, I feel like we've done a good job as a faith family trying to teach us and help us. I want to encourage us not to get back into a spirit of legalism. And if you checked A, and you have a lot of checks, you might be a legalist or a redneck legalist if Jeff Foxworthy was here. If you have just a couple A's, you've got some tendencies. But any A is more of a legalistic answer where you're trying to earn God's favor. Now, I want to highlight a couple of those in, in the e-groups. You can talk about more of them. But in one, when it says, who are you? I'm going to unpack this in just a minute. When it says, I'm a sinner saved by grace or I'm righteous and grow maturity. I hear, I hear this over and over again with people saying, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Let me free you today. If you are a believer, and this quiz is for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. If you have given your life to Jesus, you were a sinner saved by grace. But now you are righteous. That's who you are. You're growing in maturity. I'll explain that one a little bit more later. Number four, I'm glad I'm saved because I'm going to heaven, not hell. That's good. Okay, but B is I have a relationship with Christ. The reason we have salvation is not just so that we can get out of hell free card. You know what makes heaven heavenly, which is going to be awesome and incredible, but it's Jesus. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus now. That's the best thing. Not so that you can gain something later, but because you have a relationship with Christ. And then nine, this one can be confusing for people, to be a good Christian. The idea is, is that it's trying. Oh, well, to be a good one. I, I got to do these things. I got to worship with my church. I got to pray. I got to read the Bible. I got to witness. So to be a good Christian I, or to appear a certain way, I've got to try harder. I have to do these things to become a good Christian. I want us to understand today there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you Less. Christianity should never sound anything like, hey, buck up and try harder. That's not what Christianity should sound like. You're not going to make God love you more. I love what Isaiah says in, in quoting God. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. Returning to me, resting in me. You say, well, that's Old Testament. That could be something different than obviously the word saved and how we know it. Jesus says in Matthew 11, then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The Christian life is not about trying and striving. It's about rest. Jesus doesn't want us to have to labor for it. The Greek word for rest means to revive or restore. Jesus offers us, come to me, I will revive you. I will restore you from the inside out. It sounds like Jesus wants to do the work for us more than we need to do the work. So after we ask, what do I believe? We've got to follow up with, is it true? 
We need to ask, what do I believe? But then we need to follow up. In light of what we believe, is that true? And to know the truth, we need to know what the Bible really says. Not what we think it says. Well, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. We need to know what the word says, what God says. We need to have a proper understanding of who God is and what God says. Is it true? You know, there are people in in Jesus' day and age that they thought they knew what God wanted. They thought they were okay with God because of their heritage, their ethnicity. They thought they were okay with God because of their good works. And Jesus said this to them. They thought they were a member of God's family because of those things. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everyone, doesn't matter your heritage, doesn't matter your ethnicity, it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. And listen to what he says. A slave is not a permanent member of the family. saying, if you've sinned, you're a slave to that. You're a fallen person who's not a part of the family. But a son is part of the family forever. Well, how do you get that? Verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. So Jesus is telling these Jews that they were not in God's family unless the Son had set them free from sin. They thought, well, I'm going to be okay with God because of me obeying the law and my good outweighing my bad. But Jesus says, no, it's not about that. It's about me. He points to himself. He shows them the error of their way and says, no, you're not going to be into the family of God unless it's a genuine faith in me, the Son. Now, these Jews were very sincere in what they believed. But they were sincerely wrong. And so we have to go to Jesus. We have to go to God's word. What is the truth? The truth is when you came to Jesus, when you believed, your spirit was made new. It was made perfect, complete. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake, God made Jesus, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That means he was sinless. Why did he do that? So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So our righteousness comes from God because Jesus became sin. He became our sacrifice. He took the cross on our half. But in him, we get the sinless part. We get the righteous part. That means our righteousness is not determined by the way we live Because our righteousness comes from God. It's not on us. It's on God. Now, to help us fully understand that, we'll wrap in Galatians. I want you to turn there this time. I've read some verses. We've kind of flown through them. But you're going to look with me at Galatians chapter 1. This is a letter about grace. You cannot mix grace and works. They don't go together. And, And... Paul writes this because there is a group of people called Judaizers that are saying, no, 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 no. You've got to have law and Jesus. And these people around, as soon as, after, as soon as the gospel started spreading, they would come into these Gentile believers who were not Jewish and say, oh, that's awesome that you have believed in Jesus. Great, good for you. However, if you want to seal the deal, you want to complete the process, you got to add the law to what you're doing. You've got to become Jewish. You're not Jewish in your ethnicity, but you got to do Jewish things if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. It's great that you believe, but you have to add these rules. 
Galatians chapter 1. Some of these people started believing it. Paul writes in verse 6, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. You who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it's not the good news at all. It's not the real gospel. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. That's the Judaizers. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we've said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Paul's not talking about church hopping. That's not the problem. What he's saying here is you have abandoned the grace of God. You are deserting the very grace that saved you to begin with. You're turning from grace. And verse 7, he says, these people are deliberately twisting. They're changing the truth. Another version says they have perverted the gospel. They're trying to change the very nature of Christ of what he accomplished and what he came to do. You're perverting the gospel. He says these people have done. And he's so upset at these people and how they're treating the grace of Christ, how they're treating the good news, the gospel. He says he, he, they would be cursed, that they would face God's complete wrath. They would be destroyed. He means business about grace. He says this is a false gospel. These people deserve damnation that they deserve destruction. He says, that's not the gospel. Why are you turning from the real grace of God to this stuff? What is the real gospel? Galatians chapter 2, go over to the next chapter or swipe. Verse 16, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not obeying the law. And he says it again. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law for no one, say no one, will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. The Judaizers were saying, hey, Jesus is great, but you got to add Moses. This Jesus thing is good. There's some good stuff to it. You know, that, that doesn't really happen today because there's, there's one, we live in America. And so how the legalistic approach in our place is, is usually like, okay, it's Jesus, but you better do a lot of church stuff. You're going to be okay with God. You're going to have to add the church stuff so that you are okay with God. Not because you serve the Lord, because you love the Lord or out of the goodness of your heart. Because, but you're trying, I got to do this or God's going to be mad at me. He's going to smite me. So I got to add church activity. Or I got to, it's Jesus plus these good deeds to impress my friends and family. Or so that my social network can grow because I've done good and I can impress people with it. That's legalism. I'm going to add these things so people will think I'm, I'm a better person than I am. Or it's Jesus plus, I got to agree to the right politics. And we all got to agree to this so that we're okay with God. It's not Jesus plus anything. When a sinner is born again, 
He or she is born free. He or she has been redeemed. We have been purchased by Christ. We have been set free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And we are no longer in bondage to sin. We have been set free. We have been redeemed from sin, from any religion, from any human system. In Galatians 5, so Christ, this is verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Here it is. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Some of you have been believers for a long time. And there is a tendency to create back and try to get back into works. I said, listen, you've been free. Don't go back to it. Don't get tangled back up into that. Don't become a slave to that. You have been set free. See, there's this great theological word, justification. You've maybe read that in your Bible a time or two, depending on your translation. The definition of justification is Uh, The act of God where he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. You can remember what that means from just if I'd. Like justify, just if if I had never sinned. Just if I had never sinned, justified. That's what justification means. When God declares the sinner, were a sinner, now righteous. As if you and I had never sinned. That's what it means to be justified in Romans 5.1. Another 5-1. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The law does not declare you righteous. The law declares you a sinner. And rightfully so. It shows us that we are sinners. Apart from Christ, the law, we we can't keep the law. We mess up. Every one of us in this room, we've messed up. But God, by our faith through his grace, declares us righteous, justified. Just if you had never sinned. The guilty sinner, here it is. The guilty sinner, which you and I have to come to that point. We've talked about these verses. We're guilty sinners. But With a faith in Christ, we are declared not guilty and can never be found guilty again. We've been set free. We have been justified. We have been declared not guilty. You have never sinned. Because of your righteousness? Nope. Because of my righteousness? Nope. But because of the righteousness of Christ has been given and placed upon us. So we took that quiz. I don't know how you did. And I would love for you to unpack that at e-group. But I want you to write down these reflection questions real quick. Am I walking in the freedom of grace? I want you to think about this. Am I walking in the freedom of grace? Are you free to enjoy Christ and to become what he has determined for you to be? Are you really walking in that freedom of grace? Amazing grace. I know it's scary, but it's amazing. Are you walking in the freedom of grace too? Am I trying to mix law and grace? Am I mixing this thing together? Am I trying to make myself okay with God from these good works? The law says, I got to do something to please God. While grace says, the work is done. It's finished. To tell us die. It is completed. It is finished for me. And then thirdly, I want you to ask, have I been saved by the grace of God? Are you genuinely a believer in Christ because of works or grace? Did you really put your faith and trust in Jesus? If you're trusting your morality, if you're trusting your good works, if you're trusting your religion, you're not saved. 
You don't have a relationship with God. You're not a Christian. And so this morning, I want to ask you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. But here's what we all have to do. And this is what I invite you to do today. I need you to take a step in. Okay? Not a step back. I need you to say, all right, God, I step in to your grace. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, step in. If you have and you're mixing this law and grace, listen, pronounce the legalism, the law, and just say, all right, I'm going to step in to grace. Step into him. When you've tasted it, it will change your life. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, for the joys of those who take refuge in him. Taste and see that he is good. Today, when you eat lunch, not many of you, I hope I can confidently say this, I don't think any of you are going to order some sort of baby food. Because once you've tasted the real stuff, I remember my kids, it's like, I'm done with that baby food. Give me the real stuff. Right? Now, as you get older, you kind of have to revert back and you have to eat baby food again. But none of you are at that point. We all want the real stuff, right? And we like it. That's the thing is that we don't go back to the fake stuff. Once you've tasted the life of grace, the life of legalism and religious rules will make you sick. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Step into him. And so let's do that today. Taste and see that he is good. God, you are good. That is who you are. That will never change. And we do live in a fallen world, and this world is not perfect, but you are, and you are good, and you are faithful, and nothing will shake that, nothing will change that. That is who you are. And I know there's testimony after testimony in this room that would declare it, because we've seen it. And yes, we're all fully aware of a broken world that groans for the redemption. Just like our bodies groan for redemption, but man, through this journey... You have been so good to us. First and foremost, by sending your son as when we were lost sheep to come get us, to make a way for us, to bring us back so that all of heaven could throw a party because we repented, we turned from our sin and turned to you. And so, Lord, in light of that, those of us who have, who have been found, who have put our faith and trust in you, I pray we would keep stepping into you. We would never step back. We would never think that you're mad at us or that you're angry with us because we did something. I pray that, that we would recognize you as a good father that leads from grace and that we would approach the throne of grace with boldness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. May we cry out, Abba, Father, and never revert back to some legalistic that does not please you. It is impossible to please you without faith. May we just lead with grace and from a place of faith. Father, for anyone that has never put their faith and trust in you, I pray they would do that and surrender to you today. God, I love you. I thank you for our time together as a faith family. To you be all glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on, and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us, and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.